The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. It's Pharrell on the bench in the biggest way possible, hanging out. The bad seed broken into bad apple with a bad attitude, hanging around a bunch of bad letters, bad taste, bad luck, bad dude, bad breath, bad attention, bad vibes. So I saw this guy that everybody's so fascinated with, American daredevil Nick Walenda. I appreciate the stuff he does. I guess it's cool. I think he's a badass. You got to have nerves of steel. Gotta have serious onions to walk on a tightrope. This guy went across the crater of an active volcano in Nicaragua this week. Took a half hour to traverse the boiling lake of lava spewing toxic gases in the air and in his face. The Messiah Volcano, over 2,000 feet high, 12 miles from Managua, is one of only eight volcanoes in the world with an active lava lake. Quite an experience to walk across a tightrope over the mouth of hell. Melinda started his 1,800-foot walk across the crater known as the mouth of hell at around 8.20 in the evening at night, midweek, and finished about a half hour later soaked in sweat and very cheerful, praising God. He wore goggles and a respirator on his face for protection from the noxious gases. Then he removed his goggles about halfway through the stunt. He was just rocking the mask over his mouth and nose. Walenda is the seventh generation of the famed Great Walenda's family of stunt daredevils and circus performers. He said the gusts of winds caused him to lose his balance a little while the gases affected his eyes, despite the goggles. Of course, Walenda, who has previously walked across a high wire over Niagara Falls and made a blindfolded crossing between two towers in Chicago, said it was the longest and most dangerous high wire walk of his life. But unlike those stunts, he had a safety harness for the volcano crossing, which was broadcast on network television ABC carried it, Volcano Live, a special, nationally broadcast. The feat was captured by 17 cameras and four drones. They actually had play-by-play people doing the event. Sage Steele of ESPN was literally calling the play-by-play of the crossing that took a half an hour. I mean, how do you do such a thing? What do you talk about? The gases, the sweating, the goggles, the wind, the balance, 
the weather. I mean, what could you possibly talk about when you're doing play-by-play of someone on a high wire over the mouth of hell? After accomplishing the feat, Walenda said he was relieved to make it across safely as the unpredictable winds made it very challenging. He said there's no better feeling than wrapping his arms around his family after a moment like that. The show began when his wife, an acrobat, performed some pirouettes on a hoop suspended over the lava lake. So she got in on it too. In 2016, an American explorer wearing a special suit, some guy named Sam Cosman, withstood the extreme temperatures and descended to the depths of the crater. And in 1538, a fellow by the name of Friar Bla del Castillo also made the descent. He believed, allegedly, according to myth, that the lava was actually gold. He wanted to get his hands on the gold and make some money. You know, last year, Walenda and his sister safely crossed Times Square on a high wire, strung between two skyscrapers 25 stories above the pavement. 2013, Walenda completed a tightrope walk that took him a quarter mile over the Little Colorado River. It's a gorge near the Grand Canyon. I actually camped there once at Cape Solitude, literally at 14,000 feet. There's literally no air. It's like super high altitude and you have to adjust your body. I went camping there. I lived there literally on a campsite for 30 days over the Little Colorado River Gorge in the Grand Canyon. And you drink and smoke reefer basically for a month. That's what I did. I also juggled naked. They fly these planes over the Grand Canyon all the time doing these tours from Las Vegas helicopters and planes fly overhead. People look down into the Grand Canyon and get their rocks off. But little did they know when they'd be flying over the little Colorado River Gorge, they'd see me stark raving naked (laughs) juggling, which is what I did. I did it on purpose to get a reaction from people on the helicopters and planes. And I would do it stark raving naked. It always worked. But let's get back to Nick Walenda. This guy, with all of his high wire acts. I mean, it really is impressive. He's got to be one of the most dangerous stunt guys ever. But the thing that I noticed mostly about the mouth of hell crossing was that the guy had a wire on to save his life. He was hooked to a giant wire above his head. So there were two wires. There was the tightrope that he walked across which was literally this big, thick wire. When he's walking, the thing that I noticed about him was is that it covers half of his foot. I know it's a tightrope. I know it's dangerous as hell. I know that I would never do it. I know that I am too much of a wuss bag to cross anything on a tightrope. I wouldn't cross, like, from my house to my neighbor's house on a tightrope. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't go over Times Square I don't even want to go up in the air in a skyscraper and go out on one of those glass ceilings. No thanks. You can have it. But crossing anything on a high wire with wind and danger, that's not my bag. It's just not happening. So I commend him for his stones. The guy is seriously 
gotta have something wrong with him. Who in their right mind does these things? Crossing the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or Times Square or the mouth of hell. But I got home from work. I'm watching this guy and he's got a wire over his head with a hook on it and a wire connected to him so that if he falls, the wire will catch him and he won't fall to his death. Now, I understand why his family would want him to be hooked to a wire. I understand why everyone would want him to be hooked by a wire to save his life. But I, Pharrell, do not understand why, if you're such a daredevil, (laughs) you have to have a wire hooked to another wire to save your life while you're doing something dangerous. Now, I know it's very dangerous, what he's doing, going over the mouth of hell with lava and an active volcano at 2,000 feet in the air with the wind blowing and toxic gases and all the rest. But inevitably, if he were to fall, nothing would happen to him because the wire above his head connected to his body will catch him and keep him from falling to his death. Thus, where I come from, that's called not dangerous. If you are going to be caught and saved by a wire if you fall, then what is so dangerous about the event? Why does the guy have a wire connected to him? If we're watching on national television and there's play-by-play, it's on in every home in America. They've got announcers calling it like it's the greatest moment in life, in history. And if anything happens to the guy, nothing will happen to the guy because he's not going to fall to his death. Listen, the show would have been magnificent and unequaled in modern civilization if he actually fell to his death. If we were watching him crossing the mouth of hell and the wind blew him off of the high wire and he were to fall into the lava and die, that would have been something to see. That would have been, honestly, the most incredible thing you'd seen in a long time. I just saw this guy fall off a high wire to his death in a lava pit and then fall actually into the lava pit that the other guy thought was gold. I think that would be kick-ass. Now, I know no one likes to hear that, but that's what makes it dangerous. If you do something so dangerous that you die, that is kick-ass. Now, if you do something that is so dangerous, but nothing happens to you if you fail, that is not kick-ass. That sucks. And I am going to prove to you today on Pharrell on the Bench why that sucks. Because, in essence, evil can evil was way more of a badass than Nick Walenda or the Flying Walendas. Now, I know that the Flying Walendas are historically fabulous and everyone loves them. And they do death-defying aerial jumps and swings and high wires and trapezes and flips and all kinds of craziness. There's never been anyone like the Walendas in the circus. I mean, they are top shelf. I mean, unequaled. But I got to tell you, the minute I saw the guy with the wire on Nick being glorified for crossing the tightrope over the mouth of hell, knowing that nothing was going to happen to him ever, even if he fell because he was connected to a wire, then it was a waste of everyone's time. (laughs) And I'm sitting there. My family was watching 34C, Young Gun, Chopper. Their aunts were over. There's six people watching this event and I'm sitting there doing my picks for 
Pharrellonabench.com. I finally just said to everyone, what are we doing here? What are we watching? What is happening here? This guy is connected to a wire. Nothing's going to happen to him. Even if he falls, he's going to be fine. It was boring. And it was too long. When he was walking across the volcano halfway through it, I was like, Jesus, how long is this going to take? Listening to Sage Steele do play-by-play of a guy walking on a tightrope for a half an hour was like having your teeth pulled. It was the worst thing I've ever seen, and it was the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what she thinks. I don't care what ABC thinks. I don't care what the Walendas think. Here's the deal. I think Nick Walenda is extremely talented, an amazing person, very death-defying. Congratulations. You are magnificent. I cannot do what you do. You are better than me. I get it. But you are hooked to a wire to save your life. In your death-defying event, nothing was ever going to happen to you. You were not going to fall into the mouth of hell, into the lava. That was never going to happen. The other guys, at least they descended down into the mouth of hell and went near the lava. But your boy Nick just walked over it on a tightrope, which he's mastered. But, I mean, the guy was hooked up to a wire to save his life. So, to me, it's all void. Doesn't count. Because Evil Knievel, as I mentioned earlier, is the baddest mother Pharreller ever. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. No one can compete with evil can evil ever. Think about his amazing pro daredevil career. He did every stunt imaginable. Between 65 and 77, Evil Knievel attempted over 75 ramp-to-ramp motorcycle jumps and one rocket flight across a canyon known as the Snake River. How badass is that? He was shot out of a rocket over a canyon. Your boy Nick Walenda walked over the Grand Canyon on a tightrope, hooked to a wire to save his life. Evil Knievel was shot in a cheesy rocket over the Snake River Canyon to crash and burn with nothing to save him at all. Many of his stunts, he landed successfully. Others resulted in spectacular crashes, massive injuries, millions of broken bones over the years. 
were very memorable. Knievel was good at delivering many lines, but he was also a guy that laughed in the face of danger and fear. I mean, he had it all going. The star-spangled motorcycle. He had self-promotion at the highest level. Remember Caesar's Palace in 1967, New Year's Eve. In Vegas, in a city no stranger to the big and brash, Evil Knievel attempted to fly his motorbike over the Caesars Palace Hotel and Casino's iconic fountain. The stunt did not go to plan with Knievel badly botching the landing of his 141-foot jump and ragdolling horrifically in front of a huge crowd. He suffered multiple fractures and a concussion. It was vicious. Then in... 1971, Madison Square Garden. After the crash in Vegas, most people would be hesitant to ever do another motorcycle stunt, but then they weren't evil Knievel, were they? At the world's most famous, MSG, the Garden, the Mecca, Knievel successfully landed a jump over nine cars and a van. He did it on the back of a Harley Davidson 750, a bike that would become synonymous with his career. Number three was in the Los Angeles Coliseum in 1973. In front of 35,000 people, Knievel jumped over 50 smashed up cars and set a record that stood for 35 years. That's when you know you are a dangerous daredevil. Nothing to save you. The Snake River Canyon rocket launch was in 1974. He had planned to jump his motorcycle over the Grand Canyon, but due to an inability to get airspace permission from the government, he was forced to look for a new location, eventually settling on Idaho's famous Snake River Canyon. He ditched his motorbike for a steam-powered rocket, dubbed the Sky Cycle X2, and Knievel attempted to fire himself across a 1,600-foot wide gap. It did not go well. His emergency parachute was deployed far too early, and he spiraled anticlimactically onto the canyon floor below. But he had the stones to try it. It takes massive balls to try to fly in a rocket over a canyon. Your boy Nick Walenda walked over the Grand Canyon on a wire, hooked to a wire to save his life. Evil Knievel jumped over a canyon and spiraled to the canyon floor with a parachute that didn't work and smashed in the ground and broke a bunch of bones. Nothing to protect him at all. His parachute didn't work. It's different than having a wire hooked to you, hooked to another wire to save your wussy ass. Then there was 1975 at Wembley Stadium. After failing to attempt successfully the canyon jump in 75 evil knievel took himself to london's wembley stadium to see if he could successfully jump his motorcycle over a line of 13 single decker buses he almost made it before falling just short and crashing off of the final bus Eighty thousand people gathered to see the spectacle were there when knievel battered and bruised stood in front of the microphone afterwards and said quote you are the last people in the world who will ever see me jump because i will never ever jump again end quote unbelievable wembley stadium eighty thousand. i've only seen the rolling stones do a concert there or a heavyweight championship fight i saw a klitschko fight there in front of eighty thousand people but evil knievel did it what a badass Many people asked if he ever jumped over animals. Well, of course. 
1965, he jumped his motorcycle over two mountain lions and boxes filled with rattlesnakes. Keeping up with the dangerous snakes theme in 72, Knievel jumped his motorcycle over 100 rattlesnakes and two vans in Plymouth, California. One of the final chapters of his career occurred in 1977 in Chicago and involved a stunt that required 13 sharks. However, an unfortunate crash in practice left him with a fractured collarbone and a fractured right arm and massive bruising, and the stunt did not go off. But no one can question the greatness and the onions of evil Knievel, always daring, always dealing with the aftermath and consequences of crashes, death-defying moves, with painful endings if failure was involved. With Nick Walenda, if failure's involved, he gets caught by a wire and his ass is saved and his wife gets to go home with him and have a nice dinner and a glass of wine. Of course, Nick Walenda, when he was done crossing the mouth of hell, he gave all the credit to God. And he's good friends with Joel Osteen, who has blessed him before many of his death-defying maneuvers to make sure that he's safe from the big fella above who's clearly a fan of Walenda. I wonder if he helped him get that wire that he hooks up to save his ass every time he does something so that nothing ever happens to him. You are not a daredevil if you have a wire that catches you from dying. That is the moral of the story today. After he crossed the mouth of hell, he was asked what would happen if he had to fall and grab the wire that he was hooked to. He said if he lost his balance... He would grab onto the wire and he could last for about 20 minutes. It would give people 20 minutes to rescue him, which is exactly what they would do. They would rescue him in the 20 minutes and he would not die. Strangely enough, as I was watching it, I thought to myself, how bored could I possibly be watching this? And then I thought it was like over and I was like, wow, there you go. The guy did it and he was hooked to a wire to save his life. So nothing was ever going to happen to him. What will I ever do without this in my life? Then I went to bed. I thought it was over. I thought I was going to move on with my life. But instead, I woke up and turned on the TV. And what did Good Morning America do to start their day? They interviewed Nick Walenda about crossing the mouth of hell in Nicaragua. They were still interviewing the guy for his spectacular record-breaking crossing on a high wire connected to a wire to save his life. And I was like, are you kidding me? They're still interviewing this guy? The next day, he's doing a full spread, full interview on national television talking about the crossing of the volcano and the gases and the winds and everything else, knowing, at least I knew, that nothing would ever happen to him if he fell. Why is it so fascinating for everyone to hear from this guy? Why is he getting so much attention in national media and interviews and everything else? If he would have done it without a wire, then I would have thought, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This guy just crossed a active volcano with lava in it that would have burned him to a crisp dead in five seconds if he fell into it. That would have been kick-ass. Now, I would have paid to see that. I think that would have been one of the great ratings grabber in television history if we actually were sitting there with our families and children watching and he fell in to the lava. That would have made it a remarkable broadcast. What would have happened with Sage Steele? How would she have handled the play-by-play? I could just hear it now. How fantastic would that have been? I don't even think she would have been able to get through it. I think she would have broken down and started crying or something. And oh God, he's dead. He fell into the lava pits. Oh, Lord. And heaven's name is family is suffering. Oh, Leo, 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 Leo. Run for your life. Children.
lava pits and he's burning to a crisp and he's gone and forever we'll never see him again and all that is left is the high wire above holy 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 I looked at Melinda's career. In 2001, he appeared with seven other family members in Japan at this park in an attempt at the world's first ever eight-person high-wire pyramid. After five months and four hours a day, six days a week prep, the family successfully walked across a 30-foot-high tightrope in six minutes, setting a Guinness World Record. Then the Wheel of Steel, where he got onto this gigantic wheel in the air with a famous clown named Bellow Knock and they spun around in the air forever with a story about love and competing for a woman's heart and they mixed jumping ropes, somersaults and leaps on the steel wheels. In 2008 Melinda performed a live broadcast of today. The plan was to walk and then bicycle off the roof of the Prudential Center in downtown Newark. Across the suspended high wire 13 and a half stories above the ground. Then there was the Walk Across America tour in 09. He took his high wire act to 10 Cedar Fair amusement parks in what was dubbed as a Walk Across America tour. The tour began with a 350 foot walk at the Worlds of Fun in Kansas City and ended at Carowinds, where Walenda twice walked across the North Carolina South Carolina state line on a high wire. Very fascinating. In 2010, Melinda performed at the Atlantis in the Bahamas. He took a bicycle along a high wire 260 feet above the ocean. The 100-foot-long ride set a new Guinness World Record for highest bike ride on a wire. Then there was the Wheel of Death record in 2011 at the Trop in Atlantic City. He walked a tightrope inside the casino shopping center, performing with a 22-foot balancing pole 45 feet in the air he dropped one knee and then onto his back during the performance he walked both forwards and backwards before completing the 100 foot long journey amazing in puerto rico in 2011 he completed a 100 foot long wire crossing between two towers of the 10 story cadado plaza in san juan puerto rico And then in June of 2011, he performed while hanging from a helicopter 250 feet above the Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. Then he crossed Niagara Falls in 2012. That was incredible. No one can compare to Walenda. He even proposed to his wife on a high wire over Montreal, Quebec. I mean, the guy has done it all. I just question when they started using the wire to save his life. It bothers me immensely. As I said before, he's very religious and believes that he's doing all of this because God wants him to do it and that he's protected from God. Is that like the same thing where God's on the side of the team that wins the game and he must not be rooting for the team that loses the game? A little concerned about that theory. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. 
Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life. So I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we going to learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just glad he's okay and didn't fall into the volcano and die. But it would have been kick-ass to see. I think that moment of him flipping through the air down into the lava would have been badass. But that's just me because I'm a jerk. You know, I don't want him to die, but I think it would have been a better broadcast because the one I watched was pretty boring. I mean, I know he suffered with all the gases and everything going in his face and he was soaking wet, sweating, and he dealt with the winds. And I admire his bravery. But I just thought that after about 20 minutes of it, I wanted to jump into the lava. I wanted to jump into the mouth of hell. I had had enough. I even asked the people in the room that were watching, aren't you bored yet? Because I was bored to death. I don't know what it is. Maybe they could have done it fast. Just showed the last 15 minutes of him doing it. And then the first 15, they could have just done high speed highlights of it. Moved it along a little bit. But that's just me. I'm a jerk. So I ruin everything, right? Pharrell on the bench. You won't see me hanging from a steel wheel or a high wire or over a resort or over Times Square or over a active volcano. I just don't have the stones for that. I don't even like being on a chairlift. And meanwhile, I love skiing. But I don't like being high in the air and dangling from a wire, let alone sitting in a chair on a chairlift hanging from a wire. I never felt safe on those things. The gondola ones were way better. I felt safer on a gondola inside the gondola and then there were usually chicks in there with me and I was hitting on them and then trying to see if they wanted to smoke a fatty or have a drink with me at the top of the mountain before we ski down and maybe go have a session. Maybe have a little relationship, a little, you meet someone out of the blue skiing, a little ski bunny. Would you be interested in hooking up for a little small session? I saw this bizarre story about women and body hair. And I was kind of caught up in it. I saw this lady from the University of Birmingham do an interview and she said, today most women feel like they have to shave, like they have no other option. There's something deeply fraught about that, though perceptions are slowly changing. I was seeing that in the Middle Ages, good Catholic women were expected to let their hair grow as a display of femininity. By the 18th century, hair removal still wasn't considered essential by Europe and American women. Although when the first safety razor for men was invented, women started using them as well. 
They said the first razor ever was 1760. That's rocking it way back. It wasn't until the late 1800s that women on both sides of the Atlantic started making hair removal an integral part of their beauty routines. By the early 1900s, upper and middle class white America increasingly saw smooth skin as a marker of femininity and female body hair as disgusting with its removal offering a way to separate oneself from cruder people, a lower class, and immigrants. The shorter hemlines of the 30s and 40s and a shortage of nylon stockings during World War II meant that more and more American women began shaving their legs. The introduction of the bikini in the U.S. in 1946 also led to shaving companies and female consumers focusing on trimming and shaping of their nether regions. I was looking at a picture of Sophia Loren, the great Italian goddess, wearing a white embroidered dress, posing for a photographer in Venice in 1955, and she was rocking the pit hair. And I was freaked out how anyone so hot could show up in a dress, smoke show city on a yacht in Venice, and then lift up her arms, and she's just absolutely kicking the hairy pits. I was a little bit freaked out. In the 50s, as Playboy hit the newsstands, first issue was 53, clean-shaven, lingerie-touting women set a new standard of sexiness, they say. By 1964, 98% of American women aged 15 to 44 were regularly shaving their legs wax strips and the first laser hair removal also debuted around then though the latter was quickly abandoned for its damaging effects on the skin it gave you rashes in the late 60s and 70s full bushes were not at all uncommon even in playboy i used to remember looking at playboy and they were rocking the full bush in the home plate area also you had the hippie culture And the hippies rejected hairless bodies. For a lot of women, body hair was a symbol of their fight for equality. And it wasn't seen as unnatural. Not yet, anyway, they said. In 1987, a bunch of chicks from Brazil opened a store in New York City, a salon, and started offering the Brazilian a complete wax hair removal of the region A lot of celebrities did it like Gwyneth Paltrow and Naomi Campbell. Then everybody else started doing it. Removing body hair went from being expected to being the norm. Being hairless was seen as only natural and clean way to present the body. But they said that that really wasn't true. Maybe it's just what we wanted. I want it to be clean shaven and look slick and smooth. What could be worse than seeing chicks with giant bushes and hairy armpits rolling around like they do in Italy on the beaches? If you go to the beach in Italy, you'll go down to the shore and go to layout and see all these smoking hot chicks, Italians. I mean, you'd run off with all of them until they rock that armpit hair and you, you go running the other way. With advertising and media promoting the idea that hair-free bodies works and that female hair is gross has grown over the years. Methods to achieve hairlessness has become precise. The last four decades have seen the ascent of 
electrosis, pulse lights, and laser technology to remove hair. They say nowadays a new cohort of young women is embracing body hair. Like on Instagram, you can see it. It's a phenomenon. It's made it into magazines. In the September issue of Harper's Bazaar, the smoking hot Emily Ratajkowski posed with unshaven underarms and people didn't know what to think. YouTuber Ingrid Nilsson and musician Halsey have also showed off their body hair. They got newly launched women's shaving brands making a case for female fuzz. <laughs> Listen, I don't want my girlfriend or wife to have a beard, okay? I don't want her to have a mustache either. I really don't. Thanks. There's ad slogan campaigns out now that say no waxation without representation. And how about this one? We are grow choice. They're saying now that more women are realizing how body hair is deeply connected to gender and power. The emotional nature of what body hair elicits in people has tremendous potential as a tool for activism and social change. Yeah, that's it. So what I'm going to do is change the world by having dank, hairy, disgusting-looking armpits. And let me go down to the beach in my bikini and rock a full bush out the sides of my bikini so people can freak out when they see me. I mean, honest to God, is this even happening? What is going on here? I just don't want any part of this. I mean, I can't even take it. I don't want chest hair, back hair crotch hair i'm constantly manscaping it's a pain in the ass but i do it every week i play basketball with dudes with the full sweater going don't you remember the story of pharrell talking about getting our boy rick haro to come into my studio at howard stern and we did a full body shave on him front and back i mean he looked like he was rocking a wool sweater on both sides of his body He had more body hair than an animal, (laughs) and we were skeeved by it. The last thing I want either, as I said before, is my girlfriend to have a beard. I mean, what's next? She's going to have a goatee? I mean, is there anything better, honestly, than when your girlfriend or your wife has her rocking, clean-shaven legs and they're as slippery as a slide at the park? And they got like that shiny, slick, perfect feel to them. And you get a little leg and you're happy. I mean, is there anything worse than you laying in bed and she's got hairy legs and stubble that'll cut you? Can you imagine going out? And what do you do? Go to the park. You go out on a date. You go out to dinner. And she wears a dress or a skirt and then you sit down for dinner in the Italian restaurant you have your glass of wine and you have your Caesar salad maybe a shrimp cocktail maybe a little bruschetta maybe a little little neck clams and then the guys sitting next to you at the table look over and she's got massively hairy legs like she just got done playing basketball at the gym with Pharrell I just can't have it it's, it's just not going to go over well. Or she's got a full Fu Manchu or, or she's got the long, hairy armpits. I saw a rock star with literally gigantic, I'm not even kidding you, 7 to 10 inch long, full, hairy armpits and tie-dyed teal. 
It wasn't even normal body hair. She had completely colored her hair on her head, which I have no problem with. But she colored her armpit hair, too, and was rocking it and showing it off and saying, look, I have 10-inch, giant, massive, hairy armpits, and it's all painted teal. I mean, I just can't even deal with it. I looked at it. I was like, oh, my God, what is happening here? I'm just like, whoa, stop the press. I'm not having it. Like, if my girlfriend or wife did that, I'd be like, what are you doing? Are you trying to be free or something? You trying to make a point, change the world? Because you're skeeving me. I mean, you really are grossing me out. I don't know what's happened to you. I remember when you were smooth and just delicious, and now you're an animal. You're like living in the woods. You haven't bathed in weeks. What's going on here? <laughs> you got to keep the shaving going. You got to keep the removal of body hair is essential. On chicks, for sure. On men, for sure. I go to the gym, and there's these dudes that have 7 million pounds of hair all over their backs and chests and shoulders and arms and legs. And they're the ones jumping in the pool, swimming laps, and they got all their body hair falling off of them. And you're swimming and eating their body hair as you're gulping water and swimming laughs and you got some dude's hairy body trailing you and you're hitting all of his action as you're swimming laughs is there anything worse than that in life no want to be the next daily fantasy millionaire dunk on your nba dfs competition with dailyroto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season compete with the pros with dailyroto.com optimizer and the most accurate projections in nba dfs plus lineup alerts breaking news late swap support and much more save 10 percent on winning nba dfs advice with promo code dunk visit dailyroto.com backslash dunk to learn more You know, I get it. Everybody talks about Zion Williamson now. He's the man, and he's on TV every night, every game. The Pelicans plays on national television. It's either LeBron and AD and the Lakers or Zion, and no other teams are ever on. Unless you're playing them, you're not getting on TV. This week I saw the game with Zion against LeBron. We saw the last time they played over the weekend. I mean, it just never ends. Then you see Zion taking on Luka. Luka Doncic. It's amazing to me how ever since Zion came back from his knee and started playing and playing the way he's played, which has been incredible. There's no doubt the guy's been lighting it up. He's been unstoppable. He's been a powerful force in the block and he's just throwing down hammer dunks going through every player in the league no matter who it is how big they are like they were swiss cheese like toilet paper literally wet toilet paper he's like the quicker picker upper this guy is just dealing there's no doubt about it i love his game so does everybody else i am a little sick and tired of the attention where he gets all of it, nobody else gets any. I mean, Ingram's on his team, and he scores and does it all, and he gets no love at all. All we hear about is Zion this, Zion that. Even the head coach is sick of it. The guy plays a back-to-back, and everybody's worried about him. And then Alvin Gentry's like, he's 19, he'll be fine. Leave me alone. Just stop talking to me. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a kid. That's all he is. He's a kid. 
planning a giant's body. I mean, the guy is just a freak of nature. I get all that. But ever since he came back, no one ever talks about Doncic anymore. This guy is the most amazing player. When you think about what he's done at his age, it's insanity. He comes over from Real Madrid. And then in the game against Zion, he put up 30 points, 17 boards, and 10 dimes. He had a steal and a block shot in 41 minutes in an overtime win. He had x-rays for his left thumb after the game. They were negative. But the bottom line is the guy has been a complete stat freak. 28 and a half points a game, nine and a half boards a game, 8.8 dimes a game. It's just unbelievable the minutes he's playing. The last 10 games, he's averaged 34 minutes in his home games. I mean, you look at him 28 and a half points in his home games. The guy scores every night from everywhere. No one can stop him. I mean, think of this. In his career, which is young, right? He's played 122 games. And the guy's shooting 44% from the floor, 32% from downtown, 73.5% from the line. Averages 8.5 boards, 7.1 dimes. He has blocks, steals. He averages a steal a game. I mean... 24.2 points in his career. And then this season, 28 and a half points per game. It really is unbelievable. But nobody talks about him. They only talk about him if he's playing Zion. When do you ever hear him saying anything about Luka Doncic anymore? They don't show the Mavs games all the time on national television. They're too busy sucking up to LeBron and AD. And if they can't get their hands on a Pelicans game, God forbid they show other teams because the only team they show besides those two, Lakers and Pelicans, is the Celtics. I said it on SportsGrid. I said it on Coast to Coast. I said it on In-Game Live. It's those three teams. And then they'll sprinkle in very little of, you know, Sixers because of Embiid, Heat, and Raptors. And who else did they show? The Clippers. And at the very worst, the Nuggets. Besides that, they show no other teams ever in the NBA. I mean, literally ever. And so when all you do is talk about Zion and LeBron and AD, you forget how great Luka Doncic is. This guy has been crazy good since he came in the league. He played pro for Real Madrid in Spain, and I think that's what made him such a badass. The guy's already been a rookie of the year. He's already been all rookie first team. I mean, his moves are so sickening. It's not even funny. The kid from Slovenia lighting it up. His handle, his step backs, his moves. Did you see his fake from the free throw line? Step back, fake, step back, jab, step, go. 
drag back and go. I mean, he was just embarrassing the Pelicans defenders in that game. I love when he goes to the wings and runs down on the wing and then steps in like he's going to drive and then pops back four feet and shoots a three teardrop city. It really is unbelievable. And that guy can shoot the lights out. And to me, Zion is all about power moves and dunks, alley-oop dunks, tomahawk dunks, low post moves, which are impressive. I'll give you that. They're all phenomenal off the lob. is flush dunk. If you give him the ball in a low block, he's spin and finish. He will go up, miss, follow his shot, get it back, dunk it, get it back, tip it in. He always manhandles whoever's in front of him. That's his spot down there. That guy owns the low block. The paint is his penthouse. I get it. I'm digging his game. Don't get me wrong. But this guy, Luka Doncic, he's all over the place. He's up and down the floor. He's shooting from everywhere, every angle, every spot, deep corners, on the wings, top of the key, half court, step backs, game winners, half court, halftime shots, dribbles between the legs, step back, bombs. The guy dribbles until you make a mistake. You lean one way, he's going the other. He'll break your ankles every time. He clearly shoots better. I don't trust Zion Williamson outside. I think when he shoots a three, it's a line drive. He gets lucky when he makes some. I don't even like him, frankly, from the line. But everybody else adores everything he does. He has no faults. Literally, Williamson, no faults at 19. He's the perfect player. Everyone's already turned him into LeBron and Michael Jordan. Meanwhile, Doncic is the better player. Doncic does everything right. And I think everybody in the league respects him. It's like every night he puts on a show. Do you see what this guy does? Now, I won't deny Zion is helping the Pelicans go for a playoff spot. And they are making a run because of him. That's why they're doing it. They got a lot of talent on that team. They started the season crappy. They get him back late, and then they go on a run to try to make the playoffs. It's a great story. But do you see what this guy Doncic has done to this team in Dallas? He's turned Porzingis into the star he never was in New York. Because he was candy-ass when he played for the Knicks. He wanted no part of the paint, no part of physicality. And all he ever did was stand out on the wing and shoot bombs. I mean, he was pretty good at shooting threes, I'll give you that. But he starts playing with Doncic. What happens? He bulks up, gains 20 pounds, mostly muscle, gets stronger. His game's better. He's going to the 10. He's dunking. He's swatting shots again. He's running in transition. They're going alley-oop city together. Doncic makes incredible plays to him. The two feed off of each other like no other. They got a real winner going down in Dallas. I mean, they have a great opportunity to do some damage in the playoffs. They're definitely a sleeper team. And I think it's because of Doncic. And 
when Doncic was out, Porzingis was gunning away, having like 38-point nights. But when he's with him, he's twice as lethal. And I think the rest of that team, most of them I think are ass. But when Doncic is on the floor and those guys are on the floor, I think they got a good team. I think they got guys that suddenly become studs because they're playing with Doncic. So in other words, he makes everyone that much better. It really is incredible at his age. He's 21, six foot seven, 230 pounds. He almost looks like he's got ear muscles. He's got extra chunk in his game. And that enables him to manhandle defenders. I think he's incredible with the rock. It's hard to get the ball from him. He's long at 6'7 with a giant wingspan. So he can just dribble and keep the ball away from you and drive you nuts. And then he bangs his body off of you. You're some 6'3, 6'4, 6'5 guard. He's owning your ass because of his physicality and muscle and strength and weight and size and height and reach. It is an ungodly mix. The guy is a absolute machine and he's only going to get better you talk about zion is 19 this guy's only 21 he's going to be around forever barring injury these two are going to be putting on a show in the nba for a long long time baby i know you love pharrell on a bench shake it We'll see you on Coast to Coast every day at 4 to 6 Eastern and in-game live from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on SportsGrid Network. You can catch us on the SportsGrid app. Click Watch Live. We're on Pluto TV app, channel 517. We're on the Zumo TV app, channel 719, and the Watch Stir app channel 352 and on youtube check out the show and of course we're on all of it airing on the radio side on uh the fantasy sports radio app and fantasy sports network app and you know you can catch the podcast anywhere the podcasts are available i'll see you have a great day shake head Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.